It didn't occur to me that it could take as long as it did. Many countries are now on the verge of a baby bust. Infertility is extremely common. We believe what doctors tell us. Many of these couples don't know where to turn. This is a doctor that holds my happiness in his hands. Welcome to Mission Baby and this episode we are going to shine a light on two very key parts of fertility. Yes we are. This episode we are talking about everything fertility, diet and fitness related. We are indeed Simone and do you know what? Nutrition and fitness is my jam so I am particularly excited for our next guest. She's a leading nutritionist and fitness expert and she like me has her own fertility challenges. And she is a fountain of knowledge regarding what everyone going through fertility struggles needs to know in terms of nutrition and fitness. Let's welcome Rian Stevenson, CEO of Cycle London, nutritionist, personal trainer, and one of those women you just can't help but develop a serious girl crush. <laughs> Hello, Rian. Hi, guys. Thank Hello. you so much for having me. And thank you for creating this podcast, because I think it's a topic that's so unspoken but everyone really wants to share and learn about it so thank you no absolutely fine i think we've had a great response we have we have yeah i'm sure tell us about your fertility journey so far mine started about two years ago um so at the end of 2017 i got pregnant for the first time it ended up being an ectopic one so that means the um the implantation happened in the fallopian tube not in the uterus so it was never going to be successful so that ended in a very very painful miscarriage um in february 2018. I hemorrhaged, I passed out, I had to go to hospital. So it was one of those things that I found just incredibly physically stressful, but also really hard to recover from on a psychological sense. After that, I still felt kind of okay. So, you know, I was only 35 and it happened relatively fast. So we started to try again and I ended up getting pregnant again in the following winter. So I got pregnant at the end of 2018. Um, I found out on Christmas morning. So that was really exciting wow. for me. And I felt fantastic. Um, because I had the ectopic pregnancy the first time though, they always want to scan you to make sure it doesn't happen because it can be quite a serious thing if it's uncaught. And at my first scan, it was actually pretty obsessive upsetting because what they saw was that um, the baby wasn't as big as they had hoped. And I also had a subchorionic hematoma. So that's a blood clot where the fetus should have done the implantation. Now they're very, very, very common. Um, Half the time they resolve and half the time that they result in miscarriage. So it wasn't happy news, but um, they basically said to watch it and wait. And then I, I should come back at 10 weeks and have a second scan. So at 10 weeks, I went back, the growth of the baby was good. So that was very positive, but also the growth of the hematoma was high. So they recommended that I go on, on bed rest, which for me was a special kind of torture. Um, I've been <laughs> an athlete since I was 10. I run a fitness business and it's always been my, my way to, to feel good and to feel confident and to just manage my, my stress. So going home and having to be in bed kind of made the anxiety far worse and it was just strange. Um, so then I went back at week 12 and I had a really good sense that things were going to be okay. And I don't know why it's just how I felt, but they weren't. So the fetus had shrunk, which meant it was inviable. And I had had what they called a, a miscarriage. So that's where you have one, but actually the fetus stays inside you. So that was incredibly sad. And I ended up having to have surgery to remove it. Um, After the surgery, I was just really hoping to move on. Um, But for a few weeks post-surgery, I felt really ill. 
And I just felt like something was off. I called my physician and they said just to wait and see. But I was really unhappy with that. So I went to see somebody else and they scanned me and I still had retained fetus in my womb. So that means the first surgery had left some of the oh the, the tissue in um, and I had to go in for surgery that day. Um, so by the time I was out of that, I was just completely spent. You know, I'd had two surgeries. I had had the, the, the antibiotics and I really, really thought that this one would be successful. So that was a big upsetting kind of blow to, to where we were. When I went for my follow-up, um, that's when I really started to get in my head for the first time because as soon as I went back, they, they were like, so what's your plan? And I was like, oh, I don't really have a plan yet. And they're like, well, your age. And so they, they started to talk to me about my age. I was 36. It's a shock, right? It, it, well, yeah, <laughs> it's a big shock because I know I don't have, you know, 10 years left, but I didn't think it was at the stage where it had to become the issue. And as soon as they raise it, it's done. It's like, in your mind, the clock is on. So they said that I should get some tests done to see if we were all okay. I got my test done. I was totally fine. My husband had his done. He was fine. But they were like, okay, so we we think you should try for three months. And then if it doesn't happen, we'll, we'll then start the IVF. And I was a bit floored because I wasn't really expecting them to say that it's strange when someone says there's nothing that they can find that's wrong with you yeah. mm. and then they say well but go for IVF mm-hmm. and I guess to highlight the fact that there's nothing that they can find but do you want them to spend the next six months a year trying to find what yeah. is wrong yeah or do you just want to get fast track it family? yeah 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 so I found that really hard so we decided that if we weren't pregnant in four months we would do the IUI so um, we were pregnant in four months. And of course, because they had mentioned it, it's all I could think about. So we were lucky, though, that when we did our first round of IUI, it was successful. Oh, so wow. I know that um, it's something that's not very, very common. So I'm very thankful. I love that that's you appreciate this. That's amazing. No, I totally right. do. Because also when they, when they told me, I was like, what are the success rates? And they told me it was 20%. Yeah. So, yeah. so I was like, wait a second, why am I doing this if it's only that? And they were like, well, for natural, it's only 10% for your age. And then you kind of sit there and you do the math. And like my husband, he flies a lot with his work. And I was like, what if we miss a day? I mean, to then start to think that you have a one in 10 chance every single time, if you get the date exactly right. And you start being like, oh my God. And it's really challenging to not get in, in your head. Of course. Super challenging. So now, there are a number of women I've met along my journey who have got pregnant from the first IUI, but they are few and far between. So Rian, what advice would you give regarding these horrific miscarriages that you've been through to women who are going through this as well? So for me, I think the first thing is you need to confide in someone. And that's the thing I found very, very hard here. You know, I'm from Canada. And I think one of the things I noticed was the dialogue there is a little more open than it is here. I didn't know any of my friends here who had gone through it, but I felt like to not speak about it, I just felt this kind of cloud of shame and failure. And and I didn't have any way to speak about it. And as soon as I told my first friend here, she was like, oh my gosh, like she had three. And then I told someone else and she had had two. And I told someone else and they had had one. 
it is a cultural thing. Totally. Tightening. In my job, every day, I say to people, look, there is counselling available. Mm. Or I say, you know, we have support groups. And every day, people look at me like I've got 10 heads. It's very British, because, isn't it? So yeah. a stiff upper lip. It's not that I needed to talk about it that often. I just needed to talk about it once so they knew, I knew, we could have a hug. Yeah. Or if I was feeling super down, I could have someone that I could speak to that would understand yeah. what I had it, It's That's had it. Gone it's who through. gets that's it. That's it. I just needed wants- to acknowledge it and to kind of let it out of my psyche because if not you're just always in your own head really it's, it's pretty common as well oh, totally there's so many women with all this pain that they carry around and they don't discuss it yeah and the generational thing as well totally. you know yeah. i mean i know we like to think we know so much like in this day and age but speak to a 50 60 70 80 year old mm. and they will tell you their stories of when similar things happen to them and yeah. they've gone through their whole life with it locked away yeah and why why don't we share this and help each other mm. out and release some of the stress so and certainly for me you know i spent my 20s trying not to get pregnant that's that's the so irony of it all think that it's so easy to get pregnant and you're terrified that when you start and it doesn't happen you're you're a little bit shocked yeah. but actually the reality is a lot harder than that so that's definitely the first thing i'd say and then the second thing i really think you need to empower yourself when it comes to your health if you're not comfortable with the consultant that you have make sure that you find someone that you really feel can help to let you know what's what's mm. happening i think that's great and comfortable and that you're comfortable yeah, yeah. with because it's yeah, so important. Yeah, because that, that is something that I also find is rare here to not just like take what your doctor says as, as gold, right? Yeah. And the first doctor who I saw, I was never comfortable with them. And then when I, I phoned them being like, there's something wrong, they were like, you're fine. So I was like, listen, I'm not fine. And like, thank goodness I called someone else because it's not safe to keep that retained fetal product in for long. So if I hadn't, you know, I don't know what would have happened, but I'm someone who's very confident with health, I have a lot of understanding. So for me, it's easy. But for other people who aren't used to challenging that, who aren't used to being like, wait a second, I need more. It's very hard. So that's something that I think is very um, you know, important. I, I always, sorry to speak over, I always encourage people to remember our GPs, who are normally our first point of contact, yeah. are amazing. Yeah, they yeah. Are. But let's just think for a second, because they have to be experts for the elderly, for the babies, for women trying to conceive, for mm. every single ailment that we go to them for with. Sure they're supposed to be experts mm-hmm. and they have a great understanding of a lot of things yeah. but we can't expect them to know everything, everything right? Sure. So I think the empowerment pit is so important and yeah. as women if there's something you know we need to do we, we owe it to ourselves everyone owes it to themselves to have a little knowledge about it before you go to your GP so you can totally. at least steer them down the right avenue Well, and to ask them all the things that you need to ask because so many people they go see them and they come out and they haven't asked one thing and then they still feel there's the pressure as well because I get it. the GP can only speak to you for maybe five minutes. Totally. I've mm. been to the GP with issues of myself, my husband, and they've said you can speak about one thing. Yeah. Wow. Now, actually, what, on one occasion, that led to a massive period of hospitalisation for my husband. Yeah. Um, but we were, he was actually told you can speak about one thing. So it's a little bit political, but I at the same it. time, we have to kind of empower ourselves to say, no, 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 wait a minute, I need to speak about these things because they might be related. Yeah, I totally hear that. Let's go back to the IUI because I think it would be really good to explain how it works. And it's amazing yeah. that the first time you did an IUI that it worked. I've done three and sadly none of them worked for me, but it's quite a good treatment plan to do, which if you're not quite ready to do IVF, this is your starting point. It's a bit of a softer approach. 
What does IUI stand for, Simone? Intrauterine <laughs> Inseminations. NICE, the National Institute yeah. of Health and Clinical Excellence, they actually recommend six. When I started researching IUIs, in the States, they're much more prevalent mm. and they're much more prevalent on a bigger number as opposed to what they recommend here and what they offer to you here. So for me, I did one completely natural, didn't work. Then my second one I did with trigger shots. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my third one, I did trigger shots and some extra medication. And again, none of them worked. But at three, they said there's no point. You might fast track straight to IVF. So at the same time, you're looking at someone who just wants to get pregnant. Yeah. And then you're saying to that person, hey, you're getting older. And at the same time, you're saying to that person, well, the stats with IVF are a little bit better than they are with RUI. So you're throwing that whole cocktail at a person. Mm. Actually, it's really hard, therefore, to then keep going after three IUIs because you then think, well, what if I get to six and I'm in the same place as I am now? Yeah, that's that clock. And you wasted that that time. It's that clock's ticking. For me, um, because I ovulate, because they said my eggs and my follicles were good, they said that they didn't find any underlying hormonal... um, Issues. Yeah, and my husband's sperm count was good. What they said was, look, let's start with this. It's softer. I don't think you're panicked yet. It hasn't been that much time. So I thought that was good because mentally I wasn't at the IVF headspace yeah. yet. It's such a big step, as you totally. know, to, to kind of say, okay, I don't think this is going to happen. So I now need to try something new. So for me, I was like, I'm just going to try this to get my head in the space where totally. I might need to do more. And for, for me, I think that that's why I chose that. And that is exactly yeah. why I did that as well. Yeah. But it is quite a funny process because it's so strange. Simone, you were there for my first IUI. You were there in theatre with me. Yeah, really? Yeah. And I had actually looked at the prepped sperm beforehand. Oh, you lucky thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so for for the lady, you simply wait till your egg's ready to be released. Um, so quite often people will be recommended to use ovulation sticks. I don't know if you guys... Oh, yeah. Or you can do the blood test to check that you've got progesterone, which is what you release when you release your egg. And then once that's there, we know the egg's there. That's 50% of the ingredients, right? Mm-hmm. And then with the boy, you just make sure that he um, has abstained, so not ejaculated for at least three days and not more than five days. You then got hopefully the best quality stuff that he's got at that time. (laughs) And then in the lab, they spin it out and they get rid of all the debris and all the trash. They centrifuge it, don't they, to really spin the rubbish ones out, keep the good ones (laughs) in. Exactly. They get rid of it. The lazy sperm are out. The high-achieving sperm are in. Yes. And then that's it. At the right time, it just gets put in. And then... Everyone says, cross your fingers. Yeah. I'm desperate to get a better catchphrase. Than I have to say, it is quite funny when you go into theatre. So you're you're lying on a bed and then Simone was, you know, holding my hand on, on the side. My husband was there. And then suddenly the side door opens and, and the lab techs are there while you're kind of legs akimbo lying on lying on the bed and then what happens is that then they then put the sperm sample in a catheter and then they put the catheter right up into the uterus it's not the most comfortable thing i've ever experienced it's not and it takes longer than i thought like he's like so i'm just gonna push this in and it'll take about six minutes and those six minutes felt like three hours because There was like three people there. My husband was like it's on a, his phone. It's a little so cl- I was like, pay attention to me. But he was like, okay, what do you want? I'm like, I don't know. I, I just felt this is so romantic. Yeah, I was about to say, it's he, not the most romantic situation. He wanted to film it. 
So I was like, if you get that phone near me, I will punch you in the face. And then I just went back to work and had a meeting. It's so bizarre. I was like, okay, very strange. Bizarre. But with me, one thing that I found incredibly frustrating, which probably helped me go to the IUI round faster, is that my doctor said that the, the ovulation sticks don't work. So I was like, what? I've been spending like hundreds of pounds on these, these sticks. Why not? And he's like, well, look, they're semi-accurate, but they don't tell you when. You should just be having sex every day mm. when you think that you're in your fertile window because all depending on your hormones, you can show a positive test for five days, but actually it's not for five days. So I started being like, this isn't scientific. Like I can't handle this chance. And like he travels and he flies and I work. So for me, I think that was hard. And then they actually scanned me to make sure the egg was there. And then they gave me the trigger shot. Um, yeah, so the same, same. As you, I think. Yeah. yeah, I semi agree with him. Look, I mean, I've watched people go crazy using ovulation. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Me. You, well, I mean, you <laughs> and know, me. God, how many times are you going to pee on it in a day? Oh. Did you miss it? Is it going to happen? Scientifically, it'll be there. Uh-huh. Are you going to catch it though? Uh-huh. It's much less stressful to have the blood test, uh-huh. and it's much less stressful to be scanned. Be scanned. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, they've got a place, but they can drive you crazy. When you start out, they're probably fine, but right. once you are aging <laughs> and have done a certain round then i think you just want to be as specific as possible yeah because you know again you start to feel the pressure and the time bomb so let's move to nutrition because Mm -hmm. this is this is your subject matter which you're so (laughs) good at and so fascinating to talk to about actually in clinic at work i get questions about nutrition all the time Mm -hmm. so yeah please do so tell us what types of food are best for women and men who are trying to conceive and is there like a hero food group or a hero food itself that we we should be consuming. So I think this is a topic that gets a lot of heat. And like where I stand is it's more important first to focus on cutting out the bad foods and the foods that have been shown to give you a negative outcome. So in my mind, that's your alcohol, right? So even up to three drinks per week impact your outcome negatively by up to 20%. So that's, that's pretty major. Big. And Let's that's not a lot. Let's on the fact that that's men and women. Men and women. Right. And that risk will increase if both partners are. So that stat that I give you was just about females. If men are too, that stat then gets worse. And then you have your caffeine. So again, uh, less than 200 milligrams is something that you want to aim for. If you want to be safe, just cut it out. And then your processed sugar-rich foods. So making sure your insulin balance is healthy is something that that's very important for consumption. So those are kind of the three main things. Once you've done that, really, it's just about eating a well-balanced whole food um, diet that's rich in your vitamins and minerals from fruits and vegetables good quality fats and enough of the proteins. So I don't think you need to be too picky about what you do eat as long as you follow that. It's more about making sure you're, you're not going to be eating all those negative things. Yeah. And to go back to the ESHRA conference, which oh, yes. was in uh, February this year, ESHRA is one of the leading fertility conferences that doctors and consultants go to within yeah. Europe. Every year there's a new buzz thing going on. And this year the buzz thing was nutrition. Yeah. Cancelling out processed food. Mm -hmm. The buzz thing was all the things that you just said there. I mean, if you can do that yourself without relying on the supplements that cost an absolute fortune, you are winning. I mean, it's crazy that it's a buzz trend for for a conference. It should be kind of part and parcel of of, of the advice that consultants and doctors and, and, you know, that that area do give to patients because it's such an intrinsic and important part of any fertility issues it really is it really is it goes in cycles and there's yeah. trends with mm-hmm. things i think it's fantastic that a lot of people came away talking about that this year mm-hmm. as opposed to 
a pill that's going to cost you fifty pounds yeah. a packet, right? This yeah. is just what we can all and it's, do, and it's manageable. Yeah. Totally. Rian, can I ask you what did you do during your fertility treatment? To be honest, I didn't change that much because I already eat a fairly healthful diet. So predominantly plant based. I don't eat red meat. I have an allergy to dairy, so I don't eat that. In terms of the processed foods, I try my hardest not to eat any. So that's not something that was hard. I definitely took the vitamin D supplements because I'm low in that. So that's something you really need to check if you're wanting to conceive. But, but most um, people are deficient most in vitamin D are, globally I, anyway. I'm quite certain that the guy guidelines last year were you should take it no matter what from October until March. That's something that you should just do. So for me, I'm a coffee addict. So I cut that (laughs) out, uh, which is very, very challenging. Um, And alcohol. I don't drink that much, but I actually haven't had it at all this whole year because the first three months of this year I was pregnant and then I was trying to conceive. So um, my main changes were just the coffee and the alcohol. But in terms of how I ate, I focus on whole foods. I eat, you know, good quality fish and meats and I eat a load of vegetables and fruit. So I kept it the same. It's pretty much a Mediterranean diet. Yeah, isn't it? it's not complicated. No. And I think that people look for like the special thing, like the one food that you should eat. But actually, it's just about eating a well-balanced diet that's free from all of the chemicals. And that's going to be your best shot. And I just don't think there's a point in spending hundreds of pounds in supplements if you're then going to be having your hamburgers and you process food and and foods that are really high in sugar you know it's not going to combat that yeah yeah you've mentioned vitamin d as a supplement is there anything else that we should be taking when we're trying to conceive oh for sure like females should be taking your folic acid your vitamin d and a good quality prenatal and then from there anything more specific is just about your constitution or your health so i didn't take anything else but i don't have any other medical conditions so those are the base three and let's talk about men because they obviously make up half the picture what can men do to help improve their sperm is there anything they can take supplement wise or is there any foods that they should be focusing on in particular yeah so in terms of the diet it's really the same for men um men are actually luckier than us of course i know Um, (laughs) in the sense that they can really positively change the quality of their sperm so because they make new sperm all the time whereas we have our eggs and that's set they have the chance to really make a change if there is some sort of problem so So for men, it's your vitamin D, it's your folate, zinc and selenium are also very Mm. important for men. But also with men, something that they really need to focus on is inflammation and blood pressure. So having high blood pressure, it will affect the blood flow to the genitals and it can also cause sexual dysfunction. So making sure that they have lower blood pressure, they're not smoking, they're not drinking lots of alcohol, and that they have a healthful diet, the same thing really for men and for women. Amazing. Apart from those two kind of factors. <laughs> um, and obviously you're newly pregnant, which yeah. is so exciting. <laughs> have you done anything different to your nutrition being just past your first trimester? My nutrition has changed significantly, <laughs> but it's not something I'm necessarily proud of. So I've had a pretty tough times so far. I'm still vomiting and I'm 19 weeks now. So I've just found food very, very hard. I know exactly what I should eat. I know exactly what I used to eat and I cannot stomach any of it. So my diet has been really high in carbohydrates. A lot of them have been white, but I still try to be as healthy as I can. So I'll go for rice or kind of whole foods as opposed to muffins and cakes. Vegetables, I am finding very challenging. So (laughs) I try to put them in smoothies 
cheese and make sure that I still get them. But look, it's hard when, yeah. when you're vomiting, when you can't stand certain smells, it's very hard to get in the right amount of food. So you just need to do your best. But one of the things that I feel strongly about is that so many people have kind of said like, oh, don't worry, just eat cake. But like, I just don't feel that way. And I don't think that's a good way to help women get through this phase. Because mm. I do know hands down that if I was just eating high sugar, high processed food, I'd feel far worse. And then I have more chance of being more anxious and more hormonal, low energy. I already have headaches, so that won't help that. So really, I'm trying to choose now the best of the worst, Yeah, um, to be totally honest. So I'm eating far more carbs than I'd like to, but they're still whole carbs and they're still as natural as possible. I love your honesty, Rian, because I think that a lot of women feel guilty during this time. And um, it's just nice to hear that actually, you know what, it's completely fine to eat carbs. Just make more considered choices when you can. If you naturally eat healthy anyway, you'll have a reserve in the body with your vitamins and minerals that will just hopefully help through the first trimester. Yeah, look, the body is incredibly smart. So it's going to kind of make sure your baby gets what it needs. Unless you're only eating a couple hundred calories a day. or eating just like really terrible foods, your baby will be fine for 12 weeks. Like you don't need to panic. Um, I'm taking the prenatal, like I'm confident that I'm still getting a lot of nutrients. So I'm not concerned about that. Um, I think for people who are very sick, it's making sure that they get the volume of calories that they need to just sustain their energy and their babies. But that's when you'd probably be seeing your doctor more um, when you do have the severe sickness like me. So sometimes you crave what you actually need. So the fact that you're craving carbs, you need the extra carbs. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Doesn't mean you're going to be like this forever. No, now, for sure. And you, you need, just I mean, need to. Yeah. Nobody needs to double their calories. We know this, but we <laughs> it's need hard to, not to, though. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We yes. do need to go up a couple of hundred calories when we are pregnant because you are feeding a growing baby. Yeah. And look, you're not actually supposed to go up in calories till your second three months, which I found ridiculous just because the, the moment I was pregnant, I was absolutely starving. Um, I'm someone who, who didn't snack. I now have kind of like, you know, your five meals. But, you know, sometimes I just need to take a step back. I was quite thin. My body fat percentage was only about 17. So mm-hmm. I think my body was trying to compensate. I've gained about five um, kilos already. Um, so I think my body was like, you need more and you just got to do it. So again, it's about trying to stay as healthful as possible, but not being too anxious like that you're going to gain weight or you're going to going to do something wrong because it's a time when everybody feels that they can give you a lot of advice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh, um, yeah. And uh, you just need to kind of keep a calm head about it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well if you consider half the people that you met have been pregnant at some point in their life and everyone's got a story story this is what i did this is what you must do everyone's unique and what works for one person doesn't work for another yeah and like there's something to be said for your body is craving what needs so i mean i'm craving more carbs i'm craving more fruit so probably the nutrients from that but also i'm craving a bacon sandwich like nothing else you know but i don't (laughs) think there's anything in that bacon sandwich that I need. So it's just about being moderation. Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know that if I start to eat that now, my seal is done and I'm going to be having that every week. So I'm trying to be kind of more calculated with how I, I give in to certain cravings. When I was researching about what to eat during fertility um, mm. for myself, there is a lot of chatter on forums kind of globally mm-hmm. about one particular food. Is it pineapple? Pineapple. pineapple. Is there anything behind 
Highness. Now they say that obviously pineapple has got this amazing enzyme called bromelain, which yes. is very, very good for gut health. Fantastic. But what they say in regards to fertility is that it can actually help with the implantation process. Yes. Is there any truth to that? So I think when it comes to fertility superfoods, there's kind of two kinds of foods. There's there's one which is like the proven foods that have a direct link to helping your outcome. And then there's one where they're, they know that there are certain substances in those foods that are helpful. And because they're helpful, then they th- th- therefore must be helpful when you're pregnant. Mm. And I think pineapple falls into the second group. So right. <laughs> because they know that the blood flow to the uterus is incredibly important, important for implantation and the enzymes in pineapple help with your blood flow, they then think it therefore must be helpful for fertility. Now, it's not a proven link for fertility. I wouldn't go on a diet of only pineapple, (laughs) but I certainly wouldn't think that it's something that I shouldn't include. So so again, I think it's about taking these things with a grain of salt. Yeah. Um, Whereas there are certain foods that have been shown. So for men, I think the, the study came out maybe five or six years ago on the Brazil nuts saying that they should have those, but that's because they have the highest amount of selenium selenium, and selenium has been directly shown to increase sperm quality. So there are certain foods that are going to be healthful in terms of when you're trying to choose what you should eat, when you're trying to become pregnant, would I have cheesecake for dessert or pineapple? I'd have pineapple, but (laughs) I still wouldn't put all my hopes into that one yeah. food. Yeah. <laughs> but also if that will encourage someone who usually eats a Snickers bar for dessert to have pineapple, then I'm happy, right? So really it's all about where your starting point is. Your diet is incredibly healthy, right? So I don't think you'd need to then all of a sudden up your pineapple. Um, but it's got good stuff. Yeah. So but I definitely you was should su- eat it. I was sucked into it. I was eating pineapple like five days before any implantation. You know, I was totally that sucker, even though I do know that the jury is out on it. I was definitely still doing it just for my, you know, sake of mind. But I don't think that makes you a sucker, right? It, <laughs> it has very healthful things yeah. that have shown to help with things that can improve your outcome. Now, yeah. there isn't going to be... A, a clinical trial that's backed by pharmaceutical companies that looks at pineapple because what are they going to do with that, right? So <laughs> I, I don't right? think, yeah, I that, don't that's think what we that can make that our millions, you, Simone. <laughs> I'm the same way. So uh, I think that's the problem with nutrition right now is that people say if there isn't a clinical trial that tells you that it absolutely helps, then don't have it. Oh, it's everything. And I think that's completely it? wrong right. because I don't need a clinical trial telling me that an avocado is healthier than your Big Mac. I just don't. So that doesn't make you a sucker and you really need to just look at whole plant-based foods are going to be healthier. So I think sometimes when we talk about diet, we often talk about being overweight. Yep. I think a lot of people struggle with being overweight and they think that um, they need to tailor their diet. The science has been the same for 25, 30 years, which is whole food, more plants is going to be healthier. Like no one's ever changed that. It's nutrition marketing that has come in and changed yeah, that. But like right. the World Health Organization, every single heart play cancer place they all say a whole food diet high in fiber high in plants is the best way to eat i think i think when speaking about diet and fertility we often think about people being overweight but being underweight is a huge issue in itself too being underweight can cause irregular periods and be a barrier to getting pregnant in itself we need a certain amount of fats don't we what would you recommend yeah so um this is something that is is certainly something you need to look out for um i think in in terms of fats the most important thing firstly is not not being 
to underweight. So usually people need about 18 to 20% fat to be able to conceive. Some people it's more, some people it's, it's less. As an athlete, I had about 17 and I was completely fine, but some people that might be too low. So the first thing you need to look at is, do you still get your period? Are you ovulating and is it regular? So those things are something you will definitely be talking about with your consultant. Um, if you are underweight and you don't have a period that's regular, you should probably look at, at putting some weight on. Um, in terms of then fats in, in what you eat, once you have the right kind of fat for your body to function, it's not a huge factor, but usually it's around 20 to 30% of the food that you take in should be fats. And most of that should be kind of unsaturated, good quality fat. Okay, that's really, really useful. I think um, we often talk about people who mm. need to take off weight, but sometimes putting on weight yep, is a absolutely. struggle for people as well. Um, yeah. If you've been a healthy certain weight for a period of time, just putting on weight, as hard as it is for me to understand, but putting on weight <laughs> is, is a struggle. Yeah. For some people. And some people kind of the mental barrier with that is really hard because if you're someone who's used to really trying to control how you look and what you eat and like it's important for your work or just how you see yourself mentally, it's really tough to gain weight and then not explain to people why you're gaining weight. But it's just something you need to get over, right? Because mm. it's about what's most most healthy for you and your pregnancy. So weight is, you know, so often a control thing too, right? So when you can't control the outcome when you're trying to get pregnant, it's then very hard to say, okay, well, I'm going to also um, gain weight and start to lose the control of how I look or how I feel. But again, it takes work and you need to really have some um, compassion for what you're going through and what is happening and just really work on it. I'm sure you've found the same thing. Totally. Yeah. Do you know what? I want to kind of move to fitness because yeah, that was quite a big, a big challenge for me. I've gone to many of your classes before. Good. And um, <laughs> for me, going into fertility treatment, I had to really look very hard at my fitness regime. I was very much doing high intensity for, for many, many years, A, just to help with stress and anxiety and just into my day to day. And as soon as I sort of started looking at fertility much more deeply, I realized that this wasn't going to be helpful yep. or healthy for my mm -hmm. treatment plan. So it's a question that I get asked countless times and I'm sure you do You yeah. do as well. What should you be doing in terms of exercise when going through fertility treatment or should you be not doing much at all? Yeah, so this is a really hard one um, and there's a lot of conflicting information that's out there. In terms of fertility, so if you are ovulating and you're healthy and you're starting to do your IVF, what the general guidelines are is four hours or less, right? So you can still do four hours or less every week until you go into your, your implantation phase. So one thing that you need to really take into consideration is um, the intensity, right? Because mm -hmm. your body, when you're doing the IVF, you're taking hormones, you're taking pills. It's very hard on your body. And so then to put the extra stress on by doing loads of hit or loads of high, 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 <laughs> or loads of, of hit, that isn't going to be helpful. But on the other hand, it's also something that people use to help with their their mindset. Cool. So you don't need to stop, but you might just want to take one step back and look. So am I doing all hit? Maybe I should do yoga and swimming 
and really start to decrease the intensity of what you do. Mm. They then say, once you've had the the implantation, you probably should rest for 10 days, right? So I'm not sure if that's the advice that you yeah, got. Yeah, it was, yeah. Um, so, and that's just to give your body the best chance it can. Um, I think one thing that people don't think about is that when you do hit and when you do like really long, long bouts of cardio, so when, when I say l- long bouts, I'm talking 90 minutes or, or more, your cortisol gets higher, mm. right? And then what that does is it shunts all your blood out of your midline and into your arms, legs, stuff like that. So that means back in the olden days when you saw the bear that was going to chase you, you could run. But now what that means is you're kind of shunting all of this circulation away from your midline. And what you really want is your organs, your uterus to have as much blood flow as possible. You know, if you're used to doing what you've done before like high intensity yeah. or yoga or anything like that you still can carry it on you the, the worry is when people sort of start and this also when you go into pregnancy yeah it's picking up something completely new it's sort of a big no-no when you're pregnant or when you're trying to get pregnant in the natural way and then there's IVF right so mm. for pregnancy yes if you've done something your whole you you are completely fine at continuing on doing what you, you usually um, do and all you need to look at then is how you can modify as you get larger or have symptoms. When you're in IVF though, you do need to take it a little bit on the easy side, especially as you're going through that kind of peak time, because like I said, your body is going through a lot more. And then once you have the implantation, you should take it easy and just walk. If I I can just add a couple of bits. So there's two bits of information that we always give people. Mm -hmm. One is during IVF. Yeah. We use the analogy of grapes. Yeah. So as your ovaries are getting bigger, um, your follicles are like grapes. Mm -hmm. And that's the time you really shouldn't be doing high impact exercise because it is possible. Your ovaries are on a kind of piece of string, really. So it is possible for them to become contorted. And we would hate that. So that's that's one bit of advice. The other one is this is really some kind of over the top. Quite often we say don't swim. Um, One of the reasons we say don't swim is because there's a tiny, tiny, tiny percent chance you could get an infection. And if you get an infection, Um, that wouldn't be great for the pregnancy. Now, if you want to talk about clinical trials or what are the odds of this happening, it's (laughs) tiny. I haven't got an example for you. But when we're meeting people in this stage of really wanting to get pregnant, we kind of just say, should we just rule out all possible Mm. problems that could happen? This is something that could happen. So let's just nullify it. Mm. Um, Once you're pregnant, you're completely completely fine to do what you did prior to as long as you have no complications. So they say for uncomplicated pregnancies, you're fine. So again, with mine, because I had the subchorionic hematoma where they told me I should stop, I stopped. But for this time, I've done everything exactly the same, except I don't now go for runs, which is just a mental thing. They, they told me I can. I just don't feel comfortable. So I've stopped. And that's, um, that's the big yeah, thing. Yeah. You are following your body. So if you're doing something and it doesn't feel comfortable, yeah. stop. Yeah. Right? And, your body's telling you something. And, um, and like a lot of the guidelines say, so for ACOG, which is the American, American. College of, yeah, um, they say that you should do at least 150 minutes per week while you're pregnant. So I think some people kind of are scared, so they kind of stop, but actually it's really healthy. It helps your outcome. It helps you. And one thing they're starting to look at now is yoga. And what they're saying now is yoga might help your rate of success as long as you aren't doing a lot of the twists, because again, the contortion is not good. 
But yeah. I think there's still not the the evidence there yeah. yet. Um, I mean, I think definitely yoga for me in the lead up to all my treatments has been like a complete. Oh, it's a lifesaver. It, for, yeah, totally, for head, isn't totally. It, yeah. it just it just kind of calms my body down, takes my mind mm-hmm. out of of thinking about it twenty four seven, and it's been a real help. But when during IVF and during treatment, as you know, Simone, you just said, lots of walks. That's what mm. I've been doing. Lots of lovely walks, being in nature, been a real game changer for me. Mm. One of the things that I get asked most now is people kind of say, oh, I thought you shouldn't get hot. And oh, I thought you shouldn't have your heart rate up. But actually that's not really accurate. So what it is, is you need to look at the exertion. So if you're going so hard that you feel faint and you can't breathe and you can't cool your body down, yeah, that's too, t- much. too much. But you can still get your heart up. You can still get warm. I wouldn't do hot yoga just because because then you can't really cool it down. But all the things you did prior, you're pretty much okay to do when you're pregnant. I wouldn't do some of the more intense things. And I guess, Rian, from from your perspective in your classes at Cycle and, you know, for anyone going to different classes, I guess always tell your instructor before. For sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing, so, so interesting, covering all fitness and nutrition and and just how integral it is part of fertility. Rian, thank you so, so much for coming in today. It's been fascinating. Thank you so much for I've learned so much. How about you, Simone? I have, and I hope people (laughs) listening have learned a lot too. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. If you want to know more about some of the things we've been talking about, have a look at our show notes for further information and support. Do get in touch with us on Instagram at the Mission Baby Podcast or on email themissionbabypodcast at gmail.com. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. <laughs>